All right, just a couple things before we get started here. My name is Rich Thatcher. I'm a pastor at the Parker Firehouse Church in Parker, Colorado. All right, try that again. Parker Firehouse Church. Ah, nice, excellent. Uh, it's an honor to be here with you guys at DTC 2020. What a year to remember, and we are, what, just over halfway done. Who knows what's coming here. I want to thank everyone at Salt Lake City for... Um, hosting us here. How about a round of applause for the Salt Lake City people? I didn't hear if Greg asked the question. Did he ask the question, who's lived in Salt Lake City the longest? Or did he ask that? No, I do have a question. Who, who of you who live in Salt Lake City think you know the city the best? Raise your hand if you think you do. This guy right here. Okay. Got a question for you. Do you know a good vet? in town. A good vet, yes. Because these puppies are sick. Oh, I'm joking, guys. These puppies are not sick, but I do need to find a vet because these puppies have a rash, man. I tell you, you guys got the rash? Woo! tell (laughs) you. Two tickets to the gun show. All right, good. I I got these registered in Douglas County. I don't know about Utah here, but uh, anyways, thanks for the the post-it note here. I, I, like the, I like the campaign here. These puppies are sick. I'm glad also that you guys made it to this teaching tonight. We have a lot of teachings here. I think between the main sessions and the seminars, we have about 52 teachings this three days here. So No, not that many. But uh, I'm glad you could make it tonight because I think this is arguably one of the most important subjects that we'll get taught on. We're teaching on the rapture, and it's something you just don't want to miss. Okay, 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 all right. All right, all right. Uh, thank you. Got to kind of get you guys to make sure you can make it this next uh, 40 minutes here. Um, just uh, introduce my family a little bit. You've seen them before. Uh, this is us, uh, our pictures this last year. The, we live out in Franktown, Colorado, south of, uh, south of Parker, south of Denver. We're in the country a little bit. This is us walking to church uh, a while back there. So... It's a great, great family photo. We got another one here just with, uh, it's probably the year before, so these guys are each about a foot taller here, but this is, this is my family here. I know you, you know a lot of them. Uh, got, let's see, Rory is 17, going to 18. We got Graham, 16, Justice, 14, Judah, 11, and Garrison just turned nine. And then we have my, my lovely wife, Morgan, is here with me as well, the love of my life, and she helped make this trip possible. We've been on a whirlwind the last couple of weeks. I think, uh, counted that uh, we've been traveling. We did a family trip to her side of the family out in Branson, Missouri, and my side of the family down in Creed, Colorado. Um, I think by the time we travel home from this trip in two weeks, we will have been on the highway for 52 hours, I think I counted. So, and then my wife also reminded me that over the last 32 days uh, when we left on the trip, I think this was the first time we have not had a visitor in our home for 32 days consecutively when, when we were home. So anyways, uh, Whirlwind, and, and thanks for all your help there, hon. Um, anyways, let's see here. So we're going to, you know, we're going to talk about the subject of, of the rapture tonight, just to let you know how it's going to go. We're going to watch a video here in a second. I want to get you thinking about what comes to your mind and what comes to your heart when you think about the rapture, and then we're going to compare that with what God's Word says, and, and we're going to hope it'll affect our thinking. Um, we'll, you know, I'll pray before we watch that video here. Um, but before I pray, one last thing I've got to do, I think, uh, I've got to share a couple dad jokes, okay? 
Just real quick, we're trying to keep you awake. We got to do it. It's going to be good for you. Um, let's see. And, and as a matter of fact, I have a couple good dad jokes that um, these are dad jokes because my dad told them to me last week. So I'm going to pass them on to you. A couple of good dad jokes. If you don't like him, if you don't like him, I blame him. So uh, one of them he told me was, that it's, we're from New Mexico. I grew up in New Mexico. I was born there, lived there 23 years before moving to Colorado. Um, but we have something in New Mexico. Any of you ever heard of piñones before? You know what a piñon is, anyone? Anyone? Nobody? Yes? Piñones? Uh, they're also known to the rest of the gringos out there as pine nuts. Anyone know, ever heard of a pine nut? They show up in South. Okay. In New Mexico, we call them piñones, okay? Um, and so, you know, you open the shell, you've got the tasty little thing inside. So this is, got to give you the context for this joke or else you never know. Um, so, uh, what do you guy? What do you call a guy who has two pinions in in one hand and one pinion in the other? What do you call it? I'll repeat that. What do you call it when a guy has two pinions in one hand and one in the other? Steve Nelson, you got to get this. Three yons, close, close. Uh, you have a, a difference of a pinion. Oh, okay. That's that's good. Yes. That's the heart of a dad joke, right? Dad jokes are so bad that they actually come back around. They're actually kind of good. Um, other one, uh, I don't know. Did you hear about the guy that went to the store to buy a cherry and to buy uh, a microphone? Did you hear about it? Yeah, um, he bought a bing and he bought a bang. No, he bought a bing and he bought a boom. A boom mic, bought a bing cherry, bought a bing, bought a bing. All right, okay. I should have prayed before the jokes here, guys. Sorry. All right. All right. We're going to pray. We're going to watch a video. And we're going to jump into something that I think God wants to speak to each and every one of us on here. So um, I'll pray. We'll roll this video here. This video has a song some of you might have heard before. It's from a guy named Larry Norman. He wrote it back in the early 70s, uh, maybe even came out in the late 60s there. But uh, it's a part of a movie called A Thief in the Nights. But it, all of it ties into the rapture here. But I want to have you listen to this as you think about what comes to mind, what comes to your heart, what do you feel when you think about the rapture. We're going to see if that's in line with what God wants or not. Here, I'll, I'll pray, and we'll roll that clip. Well, Lord Jesus, we just thank you for the chance to be together here. God, we thank you for this time that we can get away in the middle of this crazy year, in the middle of the coronavirus, in the middle of all the riots and protests and all that's going on in our world. And that we can meet with you. And Lord, I thank you that we can meet with you on this subject. I, I love everything else that's been shared, but we want to hear from you on this subject. Lord, I think we need to. And, and God, I just pray that if we have any thoughts that are not in line with yours, you change them. God, if we have any feelings that are not in line with the feelings you would want us to have related to this subject, please change them. Lord, I ask you to move our will into action that, we would, um, that would affect the choices we make, the actions we take related to this subject. And we look to you for all of this, all this grace. We give you permission to speak to each one of us. We pray that you would. In Jesus' gracious name, amen.
with you a little bit on this, guys. Uh, what, what comes to mind, honestly? What, what do you think of? Where does your mind go when you see something like that, when you think of the rapture? Give me some thoughts here. Families being torn apart. That's encouraging. Yeah. That, no. no, obviously, be honest here. That's good. I appreciate that. Awful dreams. Other things you guys think of here. Being taken and what? Okay. Good. Other things. Left Behind Book Series. All 12 of them. Other. Say what? Yeah. How many of you feel like sometimes when you think, see things like this, it comes across a little cheesy? Anyone? A lot of people in the world think that, too. Uh, I thought about playing a video clip from the 1972 movie, A Thief in the Night, 
And wow, that was, uh, they sang the same song, but I think at one point they had a couple girls singing. I think they were deliberately off pitch, and it sounded like, you'd been left behind. It was a little scary, a little creepy. Uh, some people may, how many of you might experience fear when you think of what's going to happen? Anyone experience fear at all? I know uh, my wife, she was telling me of a time when she was a child in her youth group. Uh, I don't even know if it was a teen group or not, but one night they put them all together in a barn and they played this movie. No context, maybe no encouragement, maybe no teaching on the subject, and it left a mark, and it was not an encouraging mark. And sometimes for fun, I sing the I Wish We'd All Been Ready song to her. She'll hit me and I'll stop. But, um, um, you know, there's, there's all sorts of thoughts and feelings we can have. And so we want to talk about this tonight. Um, what is the rapture? Uh, where does it come from? You know, I think... Um, that I was talking to someone before I came here, one of my relatives, and I said, I'm going to be teaching a bunch of teens about the rapture. And, the, and she said, oh, you know, that's, I remember studying that once. I remember studying uh, all about the rapture, the seven seals and the beast and all that. And I was like, she's talking about the book of Revelation. I'm not talking about the book of Revelation. As a matter of fact, the rapture is not directly spoken of in the book of Revelation. And I don't know if everyone knows that or not, but we're going to look at where, where, the, where is the rapture mentioned? What does it say? We're going to read this together. It's on your handout. Uh, we're going to take a look at it and going to try to understand a little about the rapture, a little fly over on the rapture here, and then we're going to get into what I think is the, the heart of what I want to talk about tonight, close with a few applications, depending on how much time we have. So, um, but anyways, the rapture comes from the, the primary passage on the rapture, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, and it's verses uh, 13 through 17. You can throw 18 in there as well. We're just going to read that and then um, talk a little about the rapture here. So anyways, let's read this together here. Brothers, we do not want, I'll read this from the back of the screen. We do not want you to be ignorant about those who fall asleep or to grieve like the rest of men who have no hope. We believe that Jesus died and rose again. So we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. According to the Lord's own word, we tell you that we who are still alive who are left till the coming of the Lord will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet call of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet with the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. You know, really, uh, the rapture comes from the, the phrase, and, and I think we have it mentioned in, in my little homemade definition there, and it's highlighted, but it comes from that phrase, caught up. The Lord's going to return in the air, and he's gonna, we're going to be caught up. He's going to take all believers, living and dead. He's going to come back for the church, and he's going to take us to be with him. And, and that caught up, the, the word rapture is not mentioned in the Bible anywhere, but in the uh, Latin Vulgate, uh, there is this word for caught up is raptus or rapturus. And that's where we get the word rapture from. And this is where it comes from. And so uh, anyone asks you where you find the rapture, you find it in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, first and foremost. Paul also mentions something about this in Corinthians as well. It says this, um, 1 Corinthians 15, 51. It says, listen, I will tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep. You know, he's saying we're not all going to die, but we will all be changed in a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, 
like he said there, at the last trumpet, for the, trump, the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised, imperishable, we will all be changed. The perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable, the mortal with immortality. So that's another verse that's speaking, Paul's speaking about the same thing, but Paul is the primary speaker on this subject, and other ones, there's glimpses of it through other of the New Testament writers, and you see glimpses in the book of Revelation, but this is really where it comes from. And just a flyover definition here, the rapture is when Jesus will remove, he will catch up, he will snatch his bride, the church, from the earth before returning to set up his millennial kingdom. So again, that's the heart of the rapture. That's the, the idea. The Lord will come and he will catch up. He will rapture his church before the things that will roll out after that. Now I put here, before he sets up his millennial kingdom, there's different views on this subject and we don't have enough time to get into them all tonight. You know, uh, Revelation chapter 20 talks about Jesus having a thousand year reign of his kingdom and it mentions that in that one chapter, in ten verses it mentions a thousand years six times. Some think that thousand years is symbolic. It's spiritual. It's not really going to be a kingdom that's for a thousand years. They would have this view called amillennial, amillennial. Not, there is not going to be a millennial era like that. Others would say that Christ, before that thousand years, you know, after that thousand year period, Christ will return. And that thousand years is going to be for bringing everything back under control. It's like things are supposed to get better and better and better, and then Jesus shows up and um, that's the post-millennial view. Uh, and, and that was very popular until the 1900s when we had World War I and World War II, and the world still continues to spiral out of control. Another view, which I'm going to be teaching related to, a view that many pastors in our association hold would be premillennial view, that Christ is going to come back before and set up this, his millennial kingdom here. So what I'm going to share with you tonight is not the end all. It's not every doctrine, every verse you can find on it. I'm going to share with you from a perspective of Christ returning before his millennial kingdom. Now, even in that, there's different views of, of when that will be. Um, just a couple, a couple other facts related to that, thoughts related to that. Um, the second coming, if you, if you believe that Jesus will come before a thousand-year kingdom, many would hold that there's kind of two phases to his return, to the second coming. The first phase is when he'll come for believers, the church, the living and the dead, in the rapture. The second phase will be... After a period of tribulation on the earth, maybe it's seven years, three and a half years, a period of zero years, but then he will return to the earth with the saints and and set up his millennial kingdom. So the idea is the rapture is he comes in the air for the saints. The return is the idea that he returns to the earth with the saints, with the church. And so anyways, I just want to give you that background as we look at a couple options here. Four major views. There's more than that. Um... The pre-tribulation view, it is, again, the idea that Christ will return before the seven-year period called the tribulation period. It comes from the prophecy of Daniel, chapter 9, verse 27, where it talks about a peace treaty will be made in the Middle East that will be brokered by the Antichrist. It will be for a seven-year period. That period is known as the tribulation period, or uh, the troubles of Jacob is another term for it. But in prophecy, there's there's known there will be a seven-year final period of the end if you have this kind of this view of doctrine, this premillennial view. And so the question is, when in this period will the rapture happen? The pre-tribulation, you might hear pre-trib all the time. It's the idea that Christ will return before this seven-year tribulation period. 
And there's a, a number of different reasons for that. One of the strongest arguments for it would be throughout the Scriptures, throughout the New Testament, you see this idea that the return of Christ is imminent. Imminent meaning it could happen at any time. There's nothing else that needs to be in place before he returns. Some would say there's up to 30, 40 verses on the imminency of Christ's return. Some like William McDonald, who we might all know, would have that perspective. Tim LaHaye, others. There's a sense of imminency in the Scriptures that it could happen at any time, and we must be ready at all times. He is coming soon, um, that idea. The other thought of the pre-trib view is that um, there's verses that talk about Christ would keep the church from wrath, the wrath of God. We'll look at a couple of verses on that. Most would say that wrath from this view means that seven-year period. That's called the pre-tribulation view. Uh, another one, uh, here's another thing I just wanted to sketch in here. Again, two phases to this idea. There's the rapture where the church is caught up in the air with the Lord, and the return or the second coming is when the Lord returns with the saints to the earth to set up his kingdom. Quick overview on that. Another view is called the mid-trib, that it's not going to happen before the tribulation. It's going to happen right in the middle. It talks about the Antichrist, again, setting up um, himself in the temple, declaring himself as God, the abomination that causes desolation. It's what it's called, and it's going to happen right in the middle of the seven-year period. And some think that's, that's when things are going to get real crazy. That's when things roll out in the book of Revelation that God doesn't want us to be there for. That would be called the mid-tribulation. Again, pros and cons on that view as well. Um, another one real similar to that is called the pre-wrath rapture. Some would say that seven-year period is divided up into the wrath of man, the wrath of Satan, things that are going to go wrong. But when there's finally the wrath of God, the, the Lamb pours out His wrath, and that's like the seven bowls uh, of, that God pulls out, pours out of His wrath in, in the book of Revelation there. And so the idea is it, it doesn't happen right in the middle, but sometime after the Antichrist sets himself up um, and declares himself as God, sometime after that, we don't know exactly when, but sometime after that, the rapture will occur. For them, I, I think one of the pros of that view is that there is still a sense of it could happen at any time, just as long as the peace treaty has already happened, the temple is made, the Antichrist has set him up. There's a sense of eminency still there. Um, and there's an idea that you'll be spared the wrath, the big heavy wrath stuff. So that, that's the idea, the concept there. Another one, again, is the post-trib. You're going to endure. We would all endure the seven-year tribulation. Everything written in the book of Revelation as the seven seven seals, the seven trumpets, the seven bowls get poured out. The church would endure that all. And really, the, the rapture and the return are almost one and the same thing. And there's ways you see the Scripture and go, well, that, that seems like it's one and the same event. These other views would say, no, it seems like the rapture has some distinct things and the return has some distinct things. But those are some of the views. There's four of them. Uh, there's another view I didn't put down worth mentioning. Some of you might have heard of the, the pan-trib view. Anyone hear about the pan-tribulation view? Pan-trib simply means it's all going to pan out in the end. Let's move on to other doctrines, right? That's the idea of the pan-trib. So what I'd like to do tonight, again, this is just a flyover on some of this, but I think that we have an opportunity here tonight to settle this issue once and for all. Think so? Think we can do that? I'd like you to text in your view to 801. Josh, what's your number? 88. We're going to vote on this, guys. We're going to settle this right here tonight. No, we're not going to do that. You know, honestly, there's a lot of godly men and women who hold to different views uh, that we're talking about here. There's a lot of godly men and women that would hold to other views, uh, 
amillennial or post-millennial. Um, and so we're not going to settle it here tonight. We, but what I'd like to do, though, I'd like to share with you some, some thoughts, some truths. I, I would call them essential truths. I would actually call them maybe transcendent truths. We're going to look at three truths that I think transcend the timing of all this. They're, they go above it. We're not going to settle the matter and uh, this is the one. We're going to go over their head and go, here's some things that apply to all of them that you and I need to catch. We need to catch these things and I think it will affect our view to affect how we live here. So we're going to look at these three or four. No, it says three. There you go. All right. Three essential truths we need to know. So um, one thing we need to know is that when it comes to your view of the tribulation, the rapture, it is not a salvation issue. If you're a pre and you're a mid and you're a post, it's not like, oh, you're a post-triver. You missed it. You got it wrong. Sorry. You're going to that place Steve Nelson talked about. You know, um, it's not like that. These are things that are going to happen whether or not we're in line with our understanding, of, of, with God's understanding, they're going to happen. We try to understand them as best we can. I don't know if anyone who holds to a view, it's not coming from Scripture. It just seems like, for whatever reason, God has allowed people to have different understandings of this. And so the first thing I, I want to say here, your first blank, is that the rapture, this teaching on the rapture, the truth we need to believe is that it reminds us, that it shows us Christ's heart, Christ's heart to return for Christ's heart to return for and rescue his bride. We've got to catch that. If we miss that, then you're going to have fears. Then you're going to be like, I can't believe God would do that. You know, really, this is Christ rescuing, evacuating his bride before things really get bad. And uh, we're going to read a verse on this. This is a verse that only recently I've understood that, that it could relate to the rapture. I've never thought about it quite like this before. But the idea would come from... Um, you know, back in the, the days that, that this was written, that these verses were recorded, you know, the Jewish culture for marriage, I've heard it taught that there's three phases that they had related to marriage. The first one was kind of the arrangement phase. It's kind of like the parents made an arrangement. They're like, I'll give you two of these for one of those and throw in a queen of hearts and you got it, you know. Um, uh, there was an arrangement phase. The next phase was when there was a personal exchange of vows. You might have heard it as the betrothal. After the personal exchange of vows, the groom-to-be, the husband-to-be would go, and he'd prepare the place that he was going to take his bride. Often that was back with his family's house, his father's house, and he would build onto that, or he'd build near that, and then he would return for the celebration and bring his bride home to what he had prepared for her for the consummation. And, and those are kind of the phases here, the, the arrangement, the, the, the betrothal, the vows, and then the preparation and the return. And so really, I'd like you to think about this passage. Greg showed us this passage earlier talking about architecture. He's an architect. He sees things that way. I'm a lover. I see things this way. So we're going to talk about, no, I'm just joking. I don't know if that's a thing. Um, anyways, uh, let's read this verse together here. I love architects too. So um, this is Jesus speaking to his disciples. You know, the night before he went to the cross to pay for our sins. He said this, In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I'm going there to prepare a place for you. If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. You know, as you think of that in the context of Christ coming back for his bride, you catch the heart of that? Jesus is saying, I'm coming back for you. I did everything necessary to save you. I, I've sealed you. I've given you my spirit, but I'm coming back for you to take you 
to be with me the place I prepared in my Father's house. It's the heart of Christ for his bride, for his church. Do you catch that? We don't want to miss that. Um, other places I think about Christ's heart for his bride would be to protect from some of the things that are to come. It's right here. We read this. He's speaking to the Thessalonians, uh, the Apostle Paul, and he says, he was talking about how others noticed their faith, and they said, they tell how you turn to God from the idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who rescues us from the coming wrath. Jesus, they were waiting. Some translations say they were looking forward, anticipating Jesus, who's coming to rescue them from the coming wrath. That's a great example to us. Another place it says this. This might be a classic one on, on this subject. It says, For God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. Many would say, hey, look, there's a seven-year tribulation period. God's going to pour out his wrath on earth before eternal judgment and things like that that will follow later. But he's going to pull his bride out before these things happen. And, and some would say, well, yeah, we suffer tribulation. It, the Bible says, you know, you're going to go through tribulation. Paul says that, that's true. But we're talking about tribulation, the seven-year tribulation period with a capital T, not just hardships we go through in life here. And so, um, anyways, another one like this, we, we know that Peter wrote this, and he talked about how God rescued Noah and God rescued Lot. And he says this, see, the Lord knows how to rescue godly people from their trials, even while keeping the wicked under punishment until the day of final judgment. God knows how to rescue godly people. How much more does God know how to rescue his bride from the wrath that is to come? I don't think that's the heart of Christ, to pour out his wrath on his bride. I don't see that in the scriptures. I understand other people would get there, but, but regardless, I think what we're talking about here is really um, is a matter of timing. We don't know when this is going to happen. We have questions about the timing, but no one in this room should have questions that Christ loves you and he's coming back for you. And he's going to rescue you. And we're going to be with our loved ones. We're going to be with the Lord forever. Don't miss that. And that leads us really to the next point here is that knowing God's heart should give us hope and encouragement. Teaching on the rapture, catching God's heart should give us hope and encouragement for enduring hardships. Let's look at a couple of verses. You know, what, what is the hope that we can have from the rapture here? You know, Paul says this. We'll, we'll look at the context again. We do not want you to be ignorant. We do not want you to be ignorant about those who fall asleep, those who've died. We don't want you to lack this knowledge we, or to grieve like men who have no hope. Paul was writing in the context, some of you know, the church in Thessalonians was undergoing severe persecution. Paul went there and set up a church, and many would say he preached for three Sabbaths, and after that, that was the church plant. And they kicked him out. They ran him off. Some would say maybe it was up to three months that he got to hang out there. But there was severe persecution, and it seems like after he left, the persecution was so strong that brothers and sisters of that little church plant, I don't know what old, young, moms, dads, kids, were killed, were persecuted, and they died. And they're wondering, are they died, are they going to miss out on this? The Lord comes back, and they're going to miss out. And Paul writes, no, 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 guys, I don't want you to be ignorant. I want you to know something. There's a hope that you can have. You may grieve when you suffer loss of a loved one, but there's a hope I want to give you, and it's the hope of the rapture. And he goes on to explain this. Um, and the hope, I think, has um, a couple parts to it. I can't see the bold on this, but really I think of three parts to the hope that we have. When someone dies who's a believer, whether it's us or someone else, three hopes that I, I see in this. 
that we will be caught up together. We will be caught up together with our brothers and sisters. Whether they go first, whether we go first, we'll be caught up together. The next part I see is it'll be with the Lord. We'll meet the Lord in the air. We'll be together with our loved ones. We'll be together with the Lord. And the third thing I see there is forever. We'll be caught up together with the Lord forever. I see that as the heart, the essence of the hope we're talking about here. Now, who is that hope for? Well, Paul makes it pretty clear who that hope's for. It's for those who believe, those who've responded to the gospel, that believe that Jesus died for their sins, that he rose again. That's who has this hope. Do you believe that Jesus died on the cross for your sins and rose again? Yes, maybe, no, yes. Guess what? If you believe he died on the cross for your sins and that he rose again to give you proof, this hope is for you. Again, it's the hope that we, when, when the Lord returns, we'll be caught up together with the Lord forever. That's the hope, and it's for you if you're a believer. If you're not a believer, that hope is not for you. But if you are a believer, this is a hope that is for you. Paul literally wrote the teaching on the rapture for this purpose, to give hope for those enduring suffering. It seems like almost specifically those suffering the loss of loved ones, grieving the loss of loved ones. He said, I want to speak hope. I want to encourage you with this. So we have this hope. It's available for us who believe. What are we supposed to do with it? Last verse. Therefore, encourage each other with these words. Encourage each other with these words is what the Lord says. Hey, guys, this hope you have, take it, encourage each other. It doesn't even say pastors encourage the flock. It says to each one of you and I, encourage each other with this hope. It doesn't say fear the rapture, stick your head in the sand, run from this, avoid it, mock it, make fun of it, be cynical about it. No, it says about this teaching, encourage each other with these words. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, 13 through 18, with these words. I want to share my heart with you on this if I can. I get a sense sometimes, sometimes I wonder if it's just me or it's something the Lord's put on my heart. These words were written to the first century church. Christ left handed his mission off to the church, gave him his spirit, and shortly after that was severe persecution. They received encouragement like this. I see the times we're living in. You know, many would say history repeats itself. Sometimes I wonder if there's bookends to when Christ left and when Christ returned. Shortly after he left, severe persecution. I wonder a little bit if there'll be severe persecution before he comes. I look at the year 2020, and I go, who would have thought? I talked to my church January uh, about vision for this year. We talked about trials with LGBT and different identity things. I had no clue coronavirus was coming. I had no clue there would be riots and protesting and looting and deaths of people over racial strife. I don't think we're done seeing what's coming, guys. But, but sometimes I, I get a sense that this teaching, this passage, might become more relevant for you and I than we could ever imagine. Sometimes I think, when I think of the encouragement, I think, what happens? What happens if things get really rough and there's persecutions of Christians in America? And what happens if some of us die? What happens if they take out John Meyer? What happens if they take out Josh Whitney or Steve Nelson or Bill Young 
What happens if they take out Mike Bunnell? What are we going to do? We might grieve. We might be sad. But guess what, guys? We have a hope that when the Lord comes, we'll be caught up together with them. And we'll meet with the Lord in the air. And we'll be together forever. And that should be encouraging, guys. And what happens if it's not the, the parents and the leaders that they take out? What if it's the kids they take out? What if they take out the garrisons or the Eliases or the Trionas? What if they take out the Levi's? Guess what, guys? We still have the same hope. You believe Jesus died and rose again? Guess what? We have the hope that when he returns, we're going to be caught up together. And we're going to meet with the Lord in the air. And we'll be together forever. And there's going to be a time, men and women, I could be wrong, but there's going to be a time when this teaching and this doctrine is more important than you ever imagined. And I think about my kids. I think, hey, kids, if they take me out, guess what? We're going to meet. We're going to rendezvous together in the air with the Lord forever. And if they take out your brothers and sisters in Christ or your parents or your pastors, guess what, guys? We're going to meet together in the air with the Lord forever. And that should be encouraging to you. And it could get exciting out there. It could get crazy out there. But you and I need to have the hope of the rapture. That's what it was written for. And if you have different thoughts on that, I'd encourage you to change and probably change those thoughts sooner than later so that we can encourage each other with these words. Next point I want to give you here. The rapture, the teaching of the rapture, I think it gives us opportunity to help prepare those who will be left behind. You know, sometimes when we see these movies, when we see the left behind books, they're all about how horrible it's going to be. And guess what? It's going to be very horrible for those left behind. But we get all these movies, and that's not about us. The movies about us are going to be like we're partying at the Father's house with the Lord until he returns. It's a big, big house with lots and lots of rooms. I don't know, Greg, you guys didn't mention that song, right? Um, but, but the horrible things about the rapture are not for us. But guess what? They are for some people. They are for some people who you might know. And we need to understand that the rapture is going to happen, and there's things that we can do to help prepare people for this. Um, I, I think of this verse here, Ephesians 5, 15, 16. You might have heard this verse in other contexts. I think it applies here. Therefore, be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise, making the most of your time because the days are evil. Sometimes we can think, okay, I need to be better at time management. Surely that applies. But the word that they use for time here is not just talking about managing your minutes, which is a good thing to do. The word is, is kairos. I think Greg uh, Christman could probably do a teaching on it. He used to be a part of a church called kairos. But the thought behind kairos is, Kairos is an opportunity. It's a moment in time, in time and space and matter. There's a moment that's been given to you, an opportunity that we're to make the most of. And as I think of the history of the church, there is no people group in the history of the church that has the opportunity that we have. Things are getting crazy. They're going to get crazier. You and I have an opportunity to plant a seed with people if we are the last generation of Christians to walk this planet. We have a chance to plant a seed with those who might be left behind. What happens a lot of times, we can be real cynical. If you're a diehard pre-tribber, you can be like, I got my ticket. I'm out of here. Things are going to go to hell after this, and you should have you done You know, I told you so. 
And we got to watch out for being the I told you so Christian, because I told you so's are not going to be making the most of the opportunity to help others. I think of a time where um, I was talking to a kid on campus, um, and, you know, we were talking about the end times. We did a survey there. Do you think we're living in the end times? And he was like, yeah, I think we are. And, well, you know, are you a believer? No, I'm not. And I was, well, you know, I found out his name was Daniel. I was like, Daniel, you know, you're, you're named after a prophet, right? And he's like, yeah, my parents are Christians. They're strong Christians. They took me to a non-denominational church all my life, and I got to college, and it wasn't for me. But I started talking to Daniel about the rapture. I said, Daniel, you, you've heard about the rapture. Yeah, I've heard about it. And I said, Daniel, would, would it be a sign to you if the rapture happens and all the true believers that you knew, like your parents and others, they seem to vanish. They seem to be caught up, and the world goes into major chaos. Would that be a sign to you that, that it's real, that God is real, Jesus is the way to God, the Bible's true? He said, yeah, yeah, it would. I said, Daniel, if that happens, guess what? You've got a lot of Bible knowledge. You're going to have your work cut out for you. You probably need to get saved, and you need to probably start helping others, and it's going to be the worst seven years this planet has ever seen. And you might have to help out in that. And we left talking, and I think he left with his head spinning, and his heart might have been racing, but I know a seed was planted with Daniel. We've got a guy in our church we've been reaching out to for a couple years now. He's heard the gospel. He hears it often. We sat down with him uh, in the middle of this coronavirus a couple weeks ago and just said, you know, brother, if, uh, not brother, bro, not official brother yet, um, but uh, if this happens and the church is pulled out and we're all gone, guess what? It's time. You've been trying to figure it out. It's time. And, and not only will it be go time, this study on Revelation that we're doing at church, you're going to probably have to dig in a little deeper, and you're going to probably have to help a lot of people. And he's kind of like, oh, well, uh, yeah, I'm going to make a choice before then. Well, are you? <laughs> well, I, a seed is planted there. But I think we got to make the most of our conversation. We want to share the gospel. We also need to let them know it's not just like we shared it. I got my job done. I'm out of here. Share the gospel and go, hey, guys, by the way, if this happens, this could be arguably one of the greatest signs that God ever gives the planet. I think there's opportunity there. we got to make the most. We can't be cynical. We can't be writing letters like, you got left behind. I told you you should have. Good luck. You know, I think I left some food in the fridge. Um, no, we've got to be equipping. We've got to be thinking ahead here, guys. I'm running out of time. I'm just going to fly through my closing points so you can fill in your blanks here. But we've got to make the most of this opportunity. How can we be ready? Just a couple things. We've got to be watching. We've got to be watching for the signs. I'm going to skip these verses here. Josh is going to talk a little about watching for signs. So is uh, Bill, I think, as well. A couple signs. If you don't know where to look for signs, these verses, I think you write them down or they're on your sheet. Matthew 24, Luke 21, Mark 13 is a, a group of teachings called the, the Olivet Discord, Discourse. It's a teaching Jesus gave on the Mount of Olives about the signs for his return. There's sayings in Daniel chapter 9. 2 Timothy 3 talks about the craziness of the people on the planet in the last days. And there's signs. So signs, some of those signs are natural. Earthquakes, famines, pestilences. There's political signs, wars, rumors of wars, ethnos versus ethnos, maybe racial tension. Cultural signs, people hating one another, hating Christians. Spiritual signs, deception, people falling away. Revival, people getting saved. There's signs in Israel, peace treaty and things going on there. We need to be ready for departure. Be ready. You know, sometimes we ask the question, how sure are you if you died tonight you'd go to heaven? And we share the gospel with people. You know, we could switch the question up a little bit. How sure are you if the rapture happened tonight you'd be included? If you're not sure, it's time to get sure. 
It's time to place your trust in Jesus Christ alone as your Lord and Savior and tell somebody about it. Get baptized, go public. It's time if you don't want to get left behind, if you want to be ready. A couple verses on it, I'm going to fly here. We've got to trust Jesus. You want to send your treasures ahead. You know, it's been said you can't take your treasures with you, but you can send them on ahead. Something to think about if you're sitting on, I know you kids here sitting on a lot of money, a lot of assets, a lot of capital, time to liquidate. Think, no, just joking. This might be more for your parents to think about. Send it on ahead. Plant gospel seeds. Again, you know, uh, I think about a thief is going to come. When a thief comes, you know, they take things that you wish you could have back, don't they? You ever have had something stolen, broken in your, our car got broken into. They stole all of, all of our, 10 of our videos. I wish I had them back. I wish I was waiting there. Have you ever thought, I want to catch them by surprise. I want to have a camera here. When they get there, I'm going to be like, ah, I don't know what I use my axe or something. I don't know. But, um, but a thief takes things that you wish you had back. I think when the Lord returns, you're going to wish, if you haven't, you're going to wish you'd put your trust in him by then. You're going to wish you had maybe used your assets, your treasures to serve and build the kingdom because once you're gone, you don't, you don't have access to them anymore. You're going to wish you shared the gospel with people because when he returns, it'll be like a thief. You'll never get another chance to share with your loved ones again. It's gone. I think that's what it means about the thief in the night. It'll be like that. We know Jesus is not the thief. He comes to give us a full life, but when he returns, there's some things that will be taken that we'll never get back. We need to be prepared. You know, uh, you know we, we, we're ready for departure, but prepared for delay. Think of this one here, the parable. You can look at this. All right. Luke is not actually what it says. Matthew 25, the parable of the ten bridesmaids. But, but it says this about them. Uh, they took their lamps. They're going to meet the bridegroom. Five were foolish. Five were wise. The five who were foolish didn't take enough olive oil for their lamps. The other five were wise enough to take extra oil along when the bridegroom was delayed. Maybe it took longer than they thought. Maybe it wasn't a pre-trib after all. Maybe it was a mid or a post bridegroom was delayed, and they found themselves not having enough. Some would say spiritually, that means they had a lamp. They were professing to be Christians. They didn't have the oil, which is the Holy Spirit. I think just physically, it seemed like they should have had more oil, too. And there's scriptures that would say, you know, Proverbs have things that are, it's wise to store up. Be like the ant who stores up in summer. Uh, other places that talk about the wise man stores up choice, choice foods and oils. And the foolish man uses all he has. Things to think about there, guys. We, we need to be prepared. The greatest way to be prepared, I think, is, uh, is trusting God. Be prepared to trust God in all scenarios. If it's a pre-trib rapture, we've got to be trusting God to provide because it's going to get messy even before a pre-trib rapture. And if it's a mid-trib rapture, we're going to have to trust God maybe even more than we thought before. And if it's a post-trib, Lord, help us all because that would be a lot to trust him for. But we need to be in the habit of trusting God. Without faith, we can't please Him. You can't put your, your faith in your beans and your bullets and your Bibles. Your beans will run out. Your pinions will run out. You can't store enough of them. Um, you can store some for the short term. When Walmart gets hit hard like it did a while back, who would have ever thought there'd be empty shelves in Costco and Walmart? Might be good to have a little something. Talk to your parents about this or save, save your own things up there, teens. But... Uh, we need to be in faith one way or another, trusting God in all these scenarios. I love this, trust God for each day's, we, we trust him to save you. I love this in the Living Bible, trust him for each day's problems. Live in vital union. Last thing, we need to be working to finish our mission. Uh, 
one of the passages that I read, when the coronavirus first hit, we were teaching on Revelation chapter 3, the church in Sardis, and it talks about Jesus told the church, you need to wake up. You think you're awake, you're dead. You think you're alive, you're dead. Wake up. Literal translation said, become watching. And it goes on to say, I've not found your works complete. Jesus talking to this church in Sardis. Hey, you've got a lot of things, but I've not found your works complete. I think if Jesus spoke to our churches, I, I think he could say to each one of them, Parker Firehouse, Denver Firehouse, Summit View, Salt Lake City, the Rock Church. Guys, your deeds are not complete. I gave you one major mission, and it's not done yet. You're doing so good in so many things. Got something to complete here still. Got to make disciples of all nations. We got to go into the world with the good news. You know, um, there's some things here. I just want to close with this thought. You know, we talked about making the most of the opportunity. We have an opportunity to talk about the rapture, plant a seed there. But guess what? We have more than an opportunity. We have a command by the Lord Jesus to take the good news to everyone everywhere. And the hope of the rapture is directly tied to the hope of the gospel. That Jesus died for your sins and he rose again. And those who believe that are saved, they have eternal life. And we've got to get this gospel. If we want to pass on the hope of the rapture, we've got to pass on the gospel. And, and it's good to carry out this mission. I think back in the 70s, sometimes when there's this, this refocusing on the rapture, the 70s, they had this thing, the late great planet Earth was one of the top-selling books. And people were thinking it could happen at any time. And they got nuclear weapons on the planet. Oh, my. Um, and we're, here we are 50 years later, and I go, oh, wow, they, did, they didn't have a clue. But there was a wave of evangelism that happened in the 70s. There's, when people hold this view that it could happen soon, there's a chance to get the gospel out. We want, we want to do that. We want to carry out the Great Commission because Jesus said to. And Jesus also said, when you obey my commands, it's a way to show love. We can carry out this mission, finish this task as a way to show love to God. And it's a way to show God's love to the lost. But the other thing I think about we need to be working at finishing this task because really finishing this task is about preparing the world for Christ's return. We've got to do that. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we just thank you for our time together tonight. God, I pray that you would help us to have your thoughts on this subject, have your heart on this. We thank you that you love us more than we can imagine, that you've promised that you are coming back for us. You're going to rescue us. God, you say there's a hope in the teaching about your rapture. God, help us to have that hope. Help us to encourage one another with that hope. And help us, Lord, to make the most of the opportunity to reach others before we can do that no more. And we just ask you to help us. We need your grace. We need you to help us to be watching, to be ready. Help us to be prepared, Lord. Help us to be in faith. Help us to finish the task. We pray for all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.